All right, I trust you had a good time in your small group. Sorry it was so chaotic, but hey, that's life, right? Life in the family. You just have chaotic times. We're going to be looking at maturity in the kingdom of God. The Lord is looking for mature sons and daughters in your book. It is chapter 8. Um, where the last three chapters that we teach on have to do with God's purposes. There, there are other purposes, but these are the three one to, we want to capitalize on. Um, the purpose for discipleship is so that we grow in maturity. We reach a place of maturity. We don't want to stay children all of our lives in the kingdom of God. And then what we'll look at tomorrow is God has always wanted a people that belonged to him that were a priesthood who functioned as a priesthood. And so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. And then the last one is he's always wanted a bride for his son, people that love his son fervently. So we'll look at that also tomorrow. And then Carl is going to teach us on the best ways to facilitate a discipleship group. Isn't that going to be great? Yeah. So we'll clap now in case it's really bad tomorrow, Carl. <laughs> so right now we're going to... Yeah, we love you, Carl. We're going to look at uh, a mature child or son of God. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, please. I'm going to start out sharing a few things that probably are not in your book. Do that a little bit from time to time. Hebrews 5, and as you're turning, let's pray over the word. Can you just put your hand on your Bible or your device, and let's pray over it. Father, we thank you for the written word of God, that, that your children cared enough to write it over that long period of time, and that we still have it today. Thank you for the gift of the word of God. And Lord, we receive it humbly today. We ask that you would penetrate our hearts with it. You would engraft it into our lives so that it would become a part of who we are, that it would bear fruit in our lives and through our lives. Lord, I pray that as we look at this subject, you would pinpoint, Holy Spirit, the areas where we are not mature and where we need to grow up. We know that you'll do that gently, but we also know that you are determined to make us just like Jesus. And that is our hope and prayer, too. So we welcome that. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to convict us, to lead us in righteousness. Speak to us today, Lord, as we humble ourselves before your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He starts out saying you should be able to teach others by now, but you are still immature. You still need milk. You're not ready for solid food. You're not ready for meat. So what is milk? What is the milk of the word? Well, milk is a pre-digested food. You know, the cows and the, and the goats, they eat the grass. They digest it. They turn it into milk. We drink the milk. Well, Bible teachers and preachers, 
digest the Word of God. They read it, they study it, it becomes a part of their life, and then they teach it. So everything Reuben and I teach is the milk of the Word because we've pre-digested it. So you've heard people say, well, that, they really teach meat over there. Actually, no one teaches meat. <laughs> they all teach milk. It could be different levels of cream or half and half or skim milk, you know, different levels of milk, but it's all milk of the word. And what he's saying is, <laughs> what he's saying is, by this time, you should be able to eat solid food. So what is solid food? What is meat? That is when you spend time alone with the Lord, with the word yourself, and he speaks to you. He gives you insight and revelation into the scripture. It's the more advanced teachings of the word. And that's where the Lord wants us to be. That is part of maturity in the kingdom of God. That you don't have to just be taught by others, but you sit at the feet of Jesus yourself and the Holy Spirit teaches you. Lazy learning without application will result in a lack of spiritual growth. You want to grow up in the Lord. You don't want to be a lazy learner. You don't want to just hear the word. You want to be a doer of the word. You want to sit at the feet of the Lord and have him teach you. Solid food belongs to the mature. Their spiritual senses can discern between good teaching and false teaching or sound doctrine and unsound doctrine. They've walked with the Lord enough that they can discern between what is clean and what is unclean, what is holy and what is unholy. You know, we, we think, especially those of us with gray and white hair, we think it should be easy to figure out. But a lot of people don't figure it out. There are a lot of Christians that still use crude language. That shouldn't be. There are a lot of Christians that will still tell lies. That shouldn't be. There are a lot of believers that still don't know the difference between what is holy and what is unholy. That is part of the job of the priesthood, which you'll hear about tomorrow, to teach the people the difference between what's holy and what's not holy, what's righteous and what's not righteous. The way we become mature is through daily studying of the scriptures and applying his word to our lives. It's not enough just to read it. Don't think if you read a half a chapter a day that you're going to grow into maturity within the next few years. You need to read the word, study the word, memorize it or meditate on the word and let it take root in your life where it, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you perceive people. It changes the way you see life. As we mature in the Lord, we learn to know His ways and His will. We move from being earthly-minded to being heavenly-minded. We live righteously like our Master. You know, in our culture, there's a lot of emphasis on who is right and who is wrong. We see it in marital tensions. We see it in family arguments, on sports fields, in politics, and within nations or between nations. God isn't as interested in who is right and who's wrong as he is in our being righteous. He wants to know who's going to be righteous. Who's going to show mercy in this situation? Who's going to be good in this situation? A righteous person will humble himself or herself and pursue peace rather than try to determine who's right and who's wrong. This is important in marriage. doesn't matter so much who's right and who's wrong. It matters who's righteous. Who's going to be the one to say sorry? Who's going to be the one to forgive? 
Who's going to be the one to wash the feet of the other or to serve the other? Yes, sir. Are you recording? Yes, sir. Thank you for asking. I just didn't see the wire, so. Yeah, we're Bluetooth now because we have Kristen helping us. Okay, so in your families, your marriages, and your friendships, choose righteousness, love, and grace rather than insisting on being right. You know, a lot of marriages have broken up because one or the other is so determined to be right and to push the fact that they're right that it alienates the other, causes strife and division, a wedge in the relationship, and they start going their own ways. It's not so important that you're right. It's very important that you be righteous. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is a small prophet. He follows Daniel who follows Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is quite a big book. Find Ezekiel and go to the right couple of books. Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. In Hebrew it says, let us run after, pursue, and chase the knowledge of the Lord. See, there's nothing lazy or passive about that. It's, it is actively, intentionally pursuing, chasing down the knowledge of the Lord. We want to know the Lord so bad, we'll make every effort to get to know Him. We're to diligently pursue intimate knowledge of the Lord. Not just know about Him, but know Him personally. Know His voice. Know His thinking on certain things. Know His thoughts, His dreams, His hopes. We need to know Him. Not just know about him. Verse 6, he says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In other words, God says, I would rather you know me than to sacrifice to me. Now turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. This is all part of a mature child of God. A mature child of God knows the Lord. He knows the mind of the Lord. He knows the heart of the Lord. He knows the voice of the Lord. He knows what the Lord would do in a certain situation. Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. So let's look at verse 24 again. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands me, doesn't just know me, hasn't just prayed prayers, he hasn't just been in worship gatherings, but he understands me, and he knows me, and he knows that I am the Lord. He's not the Lord. Someone else isn't the Lord. I am the Lord. And that I exercise loving kindness, that steadfast love, that I exercise justice and righteousness in the earth. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the word for mind kind of encapsulates a whole lot, but basically as the Lord's disciples, we need to have the same attitudes and the same values that he has. <clears throat> and the more we're in God's word, the more our minds are renewed and our beliefs and our thoughts are transformed. Look at verses 6 through 8. So Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So in my Bible, it says he, he took the form of a servant, but in Greek, it says he took the form of a bond servant. And some of your translations may have bond servant, and that's the correct translation there. So what is a bond servant? Well, let's go to Exodus 21, and we'll find out. Exodus 21. Being a bondservant, Jesus was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. Exodus 21, verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he, the servant, shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So a bondservant was offered freedom after six years of serving, but he had the option to voluntarily assign his personal rights over to the master and choose to stay with the master if he wanted to. Maybe he was a good master, maybe it was because he did have a family, he wants to stay with the master so he chose at that point to use all of his talents and his abilities for one master, not ever to leave him to work for anyone else. And when his ear was pierced to the door of the doorpost of the master's house, he was saying he would listen for his master's voice above all other voices and serve only him. Jesus had that relationship with his father. He listened for his voice above all others. He said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. And as bond servants, we listen for our master's voice and we obey what he says. Now let's go to Hebrews 5. So as you're turning to Hebrews 5, I'll just say that part being a bond servant is part of maturity in the kingdom of God. You're not fighting over whose will, your will or his will, your way or his way. You've already yielded. You have voluntarily given him your life. Hebrews 5, we were at the bottom part earlier. Now we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. 
Though he was a son, Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So although Jesus was God's son, he still had to learn obedience by what he suffered. And it's the word that means endured. By what he endured, he learned obedience. Does that mean he was disobedient before? No, it means that as he grew, he learned to obey as he went through different stages of life. Jesus never disobeyed on the way to obedience. He never sinned when he was faced with different trials. He was always perfect. He was perfect as a baby, perfect as a teenager, perfect as a young adult, perfect as a senior adult. He actually never became a senior adult. But if he did... He'd be perfect as a senior adult. He was perfect as a 33-year-old adult when he gave up his life. The Bible teacher Bob Mumford illustrates this concept this way. An acorn is perfect. An oak tree is perfected. Okay, so the, the point of the fact that Jesus was perfect all along, what we can learn from that is that we are called to obey the first time we hear too. We don't have to disobey first. We don't have to rebel first and then repent and come back and say, okay, now I'm going to obey. We can obey the first time we hear God tell us to do something. God wants us to be obedient to him just like Jesus was. That's part of maturity. The Greek word for obedience literally means to hear under, to hear with a submissive heart to obey. Jesus learned obedience by listening to his father with an attitude of full submission. He complied with everything that his father said. Jesus never failed as he learned obedience. And we don't have to fail either. We can obey the first time. So to bring us to spiritual maturity, God will often customize trials just for us. He customizes tribulation. He customizes suffering just for us. Because he loves us so much, and he is determined to make us just like Jesus, because he wants to share his holiness with us. He wants us to all rejoice together eternally. And so he will allow us to go through trials, hard times, and it's all customized. And what we need to do is grab a hold of, of the hem of his garment and get his attention and get closer to him. See, our, our temptation when we go through trials is to distance ourselves from the Lord. What we need to do is allow the trial to be on the outside of between us and Jesus. We're so close with Jesus that the trial pushes us closer to Jesus. It leverages us even closer to him. That's what we want. Make sure your trials are always on the other side, not between you and Jesus. We're all going to go through trials. we got to make sure that we don't let, allow them to detour us or derail us in our walk with the Lord. There are other avenues of training that we can choose to engage in, and those are the spiritual disciplines. A spiritual discipline is any regular spiritual activity that trains, strengthens, and equips us for God's use. It requires focus, practice, hard work, and endurance. God's grace is free, but the disciplines require our efforts. 
The spiritual disciplines help us develop and manifest the fruit of the Spirit. They free us from slavery to selfishness. They help us to live as Jesus taught and as he modeled for us. Through the disciplines, we become pliable so that God can shape us for his glory. They're the tools by which God works deeply in us. The spiritual disciplines position us before the Lord for his transforming work. And we've put in your book 12 of the more common disciplines. I'm going to run through these with you as well. Your book will have more material than what I'm going to say, but I'd still want to run through them with you. There are four inward disciplines, four outward disciplines, and four corporate disciplines. So the four inward disciplines, we just do these between us and God. The first is meditation, and it's to—it's more than just reading the Word. It's more than studying the Word. It's pondering the Word. It's turning scriptures over and over in our minds until they penetrate our souls and our minds are renewed and transformed. Last month I read this book, Face to Face with God. It's a book on biblical meditation. Excellent book. Excellent book on meditation. I didn't know how to meditate on the scripture until I was an adult. And I met Jesus when I was six. I just never, no one had ever taught on it. And I'd never had an experience with meditating on the word. I knew to read it and study it and memorize it, but I didn't know how to meditate. And yet it's meditate what God says to Joshua. In Joshua 1.9, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you do according to everything that's there. And if you do, you will have prosperity and good success. And it's in Psalm 1 verse what is it, verse 2, when he says that the one who loves the law of the Lord will meditate in it day and night. It doesn't say he'll read it. it. doesn't say he'll study it. It says he'll meditate in it day and night. And he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. The leaves break forth all the time. There's fruit in its season. There's life when you meditate in the Word. So if you want to get a good book, you can get this on Amazon, Face to Face with God. And I, I know the authors, Minty, who's the main author, I've never known anyone to meditate on the Word as she does. In the last chapter, she gives her testimony about how she was um, developed rheumatoid arthritis when she was about 27. She's now in her 70s, very crippled up. She's had multiple surgeries all over her body. She lives in excruciating pain. She's uh, very stiff. She can't move often. And uh, she said the way... I overcome my handicap and my pain is that I meditate in the Word every morning. And as the Lord ministers to me, as I'm in the Scripture, she says, I can talk, I can laugh, I can counsel people, I can worship the Lord. I live in victory, and it's because I meditate on the Word of God. <clears throat> okay, then the second one is prayer. Prayer is the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. It is life-changing. William Carey wrote, Secret, fervent, and believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. You want to be godly? Become a person of prayer. And then our prayers must include listening, as we talked about last weekend. Fasting is the third one. <clears throat> Isaiah 58.6 God says, Is this not the fast that I've chosen? to loosen the heavy burdens, to break the yoke, to set the captives free, 
you know, isn't this the fast I've chosen? And there are things that will not happen until we add fasting to our prayers. You want to see victories, you want to see breakthroughs, add fasting to your prayers. And then study, studying the Word of God. We've talked a lot about that tonight. I won't say more on that. And then the four outward disciplines. First one is simplicity. And the scripture backup for that is Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Remember the first time I read John Wesley's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount? And he got to Matthew 6, <clears throat> verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John Wesley said, this command is as strong as any other command you see in scripture. He said, do not. Do not lay up your treasures here. Do lay up your treasures there. It's not that we're not to lay up treasures. We're just, we're just told where to lay them up. Lay them up in heaven, not here on earth. <clears throat> so we choose to live simply and frugally so we can use our resources to build God's kingdom. We can enjoy God's provision, but we're not to covet material possessions or base our security on things or money. Storing our treasures in heaven rather than on earth will keep us eternally minded. And so just a few common points on that about simple living. First, pray about all your major purchases. Pray seriously about all your major purchases. Don't go into debt. <clears throat> Be content with what you have. Learn to give things away. Give away anything that distracts you from your main goals. I'll tell you about a friend of ours. He pastored in Illinois. <clears throat> His name was Pete. Pete was... Um, had his own congregation he had pastored for quite a while but he had an addiction to tv and we were staying with them we were teaching in his church <clears throat> he started telling us about his addiction to tv he said man i preach i preach in my church and i come home and i sit in front of the tv the rest of the day get up in the morning turn on that tv before i even have time with the lord he said i'm so addicted to it and he said i got so mad at this addiction so i carried my tv outside and i beat it to death with a bat thought, I'm going to kill this addiction. And he said, my life with the Lord just took off. Times of prayer, times in the Word. I just loved it. And then I started thinking, I need a TV. So he went out and bought a new TV. And he watched that. He was addicted to it again. So then he's mad again. So he put it out by the trash can so that somebody could pick it up. At least the trash people. <clears throat> And before they came, he went and got it. He took it back in, put it back in his house. Watched TV some more. Then he got weary of it again. Took it out, beat it to death again. By the time he was telling us, he said, I've gone through a number of TVs. <laughs> but he said, I'm finally free. And all of my life is given to the Word of God and to prayer and to taking care of people. I'm not wasting my time with TV anymore. So that's what I mean when I say give away anything that distracts you from your main goals. If God's called you to be an intercessor, get rid of things that are going to get in your way. If he's called you to teach the word, don't spend a whole lot of time reading novels and watching movies. Give yourself to what God's called you to do. 
And then enjoy things without owning them. You know, enjoy nature, enjoy parks, go to the library. You don't have to own everything that you want to enjoy. The next um, <clears throat> outward discipline is silence and solitude. Solitude, spending time alone with God in a private place without interruptions. When we're silent, we can hear his voice so much more clearly and easily. Submission, that's the discipline of preferring others and laying down our rights and desires for their good. It's also yielding to someone else's leadership. Service, that encourages and strengthens and heals the body of Christ. It strengthens our humility. It helps us resist the world system of selfish ambition. And then the corporate disciplines, there's confession, and that's sharing our sins or weaknesses for prayer or healing. When sin is kept in darkness, it has power over us, but once we confess it, the stronghold is broken and we can come into freedom. That's one of the beauties of uh, small discipleship groups. It becomes a safe place, a trusted place, where you can share your weaknesses, your struggles, and you know your brothers or your sisters will pray with you and agree with you until you come into freedom. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So what gets healed? Well, you can be healed physically, emotionally. You can be healed of shame, and the whole sin pattern can be healed. So there's a lot of value in confessing one to another, praying for each other so that we can move further into healing. And then nine is worship. Worship is the key to kingdom advance in you and around you. You want the kingdom to advance, the kingdom of God to advance in your neighborhood? Worship the Lord around your neighborhood. You want it to advance in your home? Worship the Lord in your home. Worship welcomes the presence and the activity of God. And then 11 is guidance. We often seek guidance by ourselves, but it's a corporate discipline because there are times we seek the Lord's guidance as a couple, as a family, or as a congregation. God has made us to be interdependent, and we hear better when we can see the whole picture with other people involved. And, and I would encourage you, if you're about to make a major decision and you, you've been seeking the Lord for counsel, Pull some other people in with you to let them seek the Lord with you. Because there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. There's wisdom in the multitude of intercessors and people that will pray with you. And then lastly, celebration. That's just rejoicing in the Lord and praising Him. So the more we engage in spiritual disciplines, the more we will develop our spiritual lives and walk in holiness and joy in the Lord. A disciplined person is not just someone who exercises discipline. It's someone who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, in the right spirit. And that's what we all want to be. We want that to be our testimony. Wouldn't that be neat if it was your epitaph on your tombstone? This brother did the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right spirit. Disciplined people have made Jesus Lord of their lives. When they go through hard, painful times, they listen to God with a submissive heart to obey, and they move into greater levels of obedience and intimacy with Him. The Lord wants us to grow into maturity. He doesn't want us to stay children. <clears throat> he wants us able to hear His voice and to choose to obey Him. He wants us to 
engage in these disciplines because they position us before him where he can work deeply in our lives. He's, he's given us so many opportunities to grow. And these are, these are just some of them. Let's pray together. <clears throat> We're going to close. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be aligned with your heart, that the maturity you want to see in us, we would also want to see in us. The holiness you want to see in us, we would also want to see. We'd work toward that. We would yield to the Spirit's working in our lives. The purity you want to see, we would want that too. We would walk in that purity. Lord, would you take us where we are And would you propel us into a deeper place with you, a higher place with you, a greater place with you, a place of more maturity, that you would be glorified in our lives. Lord, that's that's our heart cry. We want Jesus to be lifted up. We want God to be glorified. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.